0: Hello and welcome to episode two of The Thinking Room, what we like to call The Thinking Man's Podcast. For men who appreciate the value of taking time out to stop and consider the world, to plan ahead, to prepare, or some might even say to equip themselves for battle with ideas, thoughts and theories that not only inform our actions but also give us confidence and strength as we ready ourselves for the great challenge that is life. But it's not just about preparation, sometimes it's just about being able to process where you are. To think things through sensibly so that we can complement those things we like to call instincts and gut feelings with a sense of considered judgment and rational thinking. So, if that's you, you're in the right place. And if not, well, you're here now, so you might as well carry on listening. You might find some of our ramblings mildly interesting. But that's enough of the philosophy. On with the show. So, here we are once again in the fabulous Lab Studio in South London. Just four ordinary guys sitting around a table talking about life, really but not just everyday life. We're talking about things that matter most to us as men. Last time out, we had a great time talking about fatherhood and all the joys and trials that go with that. So if you haven't heard it, check it out. But this week, we're going to be talking about something completely different, more of which we'll get into in just a moment. But first of all, let's say hello to the guys joining me in the studio today. First of all, welcome to the show, Charlton.
1: Thank you, Charl.
0: Good to have you here. When I called Charton up, uh, asked him if he wanted to join the show. He just sent me a text message of a steak, which was basically saying to me, this is what I'm doing with my life right now. And I'm like, okay, you're my kind of guy. I need to, I need to have you on this show. Well,
1: you've underestimated the importance of food again.
0: Never, never. I've never done that in my life. But what I do like is your approach to the steak. You you're still doing the old um, sticking it in the oven trick?
1: Very much so, yeah. Heavily seared, in the oven, meat thermometer in, slow cook, sixty five degrees.
0: Is that is that is that a new thing that you've been doing or is that something It's
1: you've... it's an old new trick, as in the meat thermometer is sort of a last six months thing, but it's really improving the quality of the steak, which which is important because I eat it every other day.
0: So so how do you get the the, the classic, what do we call the, the Maillard reaction though? Because that's what surely that's what all the steak is all about, right?
1: Well, for me, I think it's more about the quality of the meat and whether you bring out the different tenderness in it. Like, I like to see the coloration change throughout the steak.
0: Right, right. Well, you are a man that knows his steak, and any man that knows steak is great to have on the show. So, welcome. Good to have you here. And then, sitting next to me, um, just on his phone, ready to go, texting away. Thanks for being with us, Andrew. Good to have you in the
1: room. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not texting, I'm making notes. Making I'm notes already. already. This is how important. good the
0: show is.
2: He's making notes
1: already. <laughs> he's not making notes, he's working. I'll, I'll come yeah, if <laughs> Charlie gets I the think.
2: intro of tell us how cool you are about me, I get introduced with a telling off. Because he it's looked outrageous. like he was
1: he was ready,
0: he was ready to go. So Andrew <laughs> is actually a good friend of mine. He used to live um together with me back in the day, and back we're in still Friends. We, and we're still friends. And um uh, I remember that when um, when we left, and uh, I eventually got married, you actually said to my wife to look out for the hairs in the sink.
2: Yeah, bristles. Yeah, I, I mainly couldn't, bristles. I couldn't,
0: I couldn't help but feel that that was a little bit harsh because she hasn't said anything since at all.
2: So either you've got better at cleaning the sink, or she's just too polite to mention it.
0: Maybe could be because you one, one of those kind of
2: like you'd cover the sink with bristles right to the top of the side, <laughs> and then you'd kind of run the tap. Without actually kind of washing the water up the sides. So you'd get this little clean pool at the bottom of the sink and then a kind of like stubbly beard going right up the sides. And I just thought it was only fair that a woman should know that. It is, it it
0: was fair. I mean, to be honest, I think as men, we do domesticate quite late in life. And
2: if I'm truthful, I probably was one of those people who domesticated.
0: It sounds sounds like you made it,
2: if if the letters never mentioned it, it sounds like you made it just in time. Yeah, I think I did. You you domesticated in the nick of time.
0: In truth, I've, I've got to say, living
2: with you, and our other flatmate at the time did actually help me
0: domesticate quite a lot because I was just pretty, just like easygoing, and you were, you were just so awkward about everything. But <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it worked out
1: well for you because it in was it.
2: incredibly stressful for the rest of us.
1: <laughs> what do you actually use to shave, Joe? Though, because you're so swarthy, that was it like a chainsaw or something? Because you must really have to. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like living with a circus bear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling for a witty retort, but uh, we'll move on. So Dan, Dan, good to have you back on the show again. We heard it's some nice great things from you um, last week. I um, bet your your book reading. And I guess this is probably a good time to get on with one of our favourite parts of the show. One of the main reasons why listeners tune in is to hear about what Dan is reading. We're going to get oh, straight into that.
2: I thought he was going to read us a story.
0: No, we're actually going to hear about Dan's excessive reading habit. He's, uh, he's 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 seeking help about it, but he's uh, he's doing well so far. So tell us, tell us, Dan, what's the what's the latest book you've been reading lately?
3: Well, there's always a few things on the go, but I think one of the books I think that has been getting my interest uh, recently is Twelve Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson.
0: Okay, so yes. if you don't if you haven't heard
3: of Jordan Peterson yet, you will do at some point. Um, it's it's I suppose the way I'd describe it is it's like a big dollop of common sense, really. It's it's just Excellent. a whole it's a whole load of practical common sense, and I think what's what what for me has been really interesting is, is is having like a clinical psychologist view on a lot of the practical wisdom that we as Christians live by. Yeah. Having that clinical psychologist sort of lens is um, I find really interesting, yeah. and it's quite inspiring, and and it's very practical. Good stories, so I, I definitely would recommend. It. If you haven't heard of Jordan Peterson controversial character, you know, yeah. we, won't, we won't go into that today, but you, you probably will hear about him at some point. That would be my, um, my guess, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I picked up on him recently as well, and what I, what I like about him is that he's, he's quickly becoming someone who is garnering a lot of influence, particularly with men. Um, he's, he's always talking about how the main people that follow him are men in the 20 to 35 age range, and um, he's putting out a lot of really good ideas out there and a lot of them come from a biblical base. I don't think he is a Christian but he does come from a biblical base. He quotes the Bible a lot, particularly Genesis and the Old Testament, some of the fundamentals that set up humanity. And you know, he's someone who is contributing to the conversation at the mm. moment about everything that we go through in life and he's someone who is being commented on um, both positively and negatively in the media. He's um, gaining lots of following um, from from lots of different areas, and if he's going to be engaging in that conversation and actually um, being influential in it, then I think as Christians, it's a, it's just good for us to know what that what those conversations are yeah. and to be able to engage in them. I think in some of the current topics of the day that are shaping the way people think, if we can actually engage in those conversations as well and actually know where people are coming from and know some of the ideas. That are helping shape people's thoughts. And I just think we're just we're just in a much better place yeah. to, you know, yeah, to kind right. of like present our ideas and um show everything that they're worth. What was it in particular that made you go to um pick up that book and start exploring
3: what he had to say? Yeah, well, I thought it's actually pretty conversation with yourself, actually, when you mentioned that Kathy Newman interview on channel four. That was huge, wasn't so, it? So and I think that comment that you made about, you know, he was obviously in that interview talking about the gender pay gap. Mm. And there was that statistic about you know the number of women who are in FTSE one hundred you know sort of CEO positions being small. And his his response to Kathy about you know why would they want to be in that place? Yeah, it's yeah. it's very counterculture. Very counterculture coming to someone who who's in the, in the in the mainstream media coming back with something that's practical as a Christian would say. Well, well, why would you necessarily want to sacrifice everything? To, to struggle to be which is spot. what they
0: have to do to get
3: there often for me it was like okay it's interesting and I think the bit, what the big takeaway is you you see his his kind of courage in the media but when you start to delve into it you realise that so many so many guys I think are flocking to hear hear some truth because yeah. I think truth yeah. rings you know and I think I think sometimes in, as simple as Christians sometimes we think that the world is very black and white mm.
0: that
3: you've got you've got Christians living in this little like Little worldview, and then you've got everyone else, and every, everything's against this Christian worldview. Yeah. And I think that what for me what struck me, which I didn't see coming really, is that the world is multifaceted, um, and there are other brave mm. people that aren't necessarily got the same Christian worldview <clears throat> that are saying there is truth, and, yes. and, it's, yeah. and it's not left, and I'm not right, and I'm I'm somewhere, yeah, and. And men who are in their twenties and thirties that are free falling and looking for somewhere to, to land their feet, yes, find a voice that speaks truth that transcends, you know, any religion, whatever. It's a truth that just resonates. Are flocking to to that, and I think that's what is fascinating, and I think that's why that kind of drew me in a little bit.
0: Yeah, and you know, I was hearing, like I said, I was hearing a lot about him, and I wasn't, I wasn't sure what to make of him. But then you told me that you were reading the book that he's he's brought out, Twelve Rules for Life. And uh, you were telling me a lot of good things about that. So I've actually gone out and picked up that book myself. I'm actually halfway through reading it. And I've just realised that it's it's probably the first book that I've read in over five years that is not Christian. And he's actually presenting an idea which is not overtly Christian and saying this is the Christian answer to life. Like I said, he is he does have a lot of his thoughts based on on the Bible, but he's coming from the point of view as a a clinical psychologist. And that is the main mm. point of view that he's coming from. That's where his ideas come from. And I think um, you, you might know better than me on this. You'll be able to correct me if I'm right or wrong. But I, um, I heard a, a great um, interview with John Lennox um, recently where he said when he was younger, his father, um, who was a Christian and was bringing him up as a Christian, gave him the um, the Marxist manifesto and just basically told him to read it. And even though that is a completely opposite of what a Christian worldview is. He he wanted him to read it so he could understand more than just one view and mm. actually broaden his horizons and broaden his mind and, and then basically look at it rather than just being told what to believe. Actually look at it and weigh it up and actually see that in the end, and what he did do in the end, he, he weighed up all the, the ideas out there mm. and says, well, the one that Jesus is talking about is by far the most healthy and most attractive to me and that was what he chose but I thought that was so that was so courageous of his father to be able to do that to kind of like release him into a new way of thinking um, and to have the faith that he would still come back to Christ.
1: I think people get scared of reading other things. They they, they think actually that it might rock their faith Yeah, and they don't trust in the actual process of the Holy Spirit being a very powerful thing Mm. in that reading. Like, Obviously, any one of us in this room or outside of this room can be influenced by what we read, but actually, if you've got a balance of what your inputs are in life, you're not going to suddenly be swayed in a different direction. I've never been frightened of reading anything else. I really, really enjoy it, because you're understanding someone else's viewpoint and there are going to be some great ideas outside of Christianity. It doesn't mean I have to centre my life around them. Mm. Um, Some of them are going to be really valid and really, really interesting. Um, Yeah, there were some,
3: I can't remember, who it was but they said that if the the mark of intelligence is to be able to hold two like contradictory ideas in your head yeah, and not be freaked out about it you know that's obviously me to paraphrase but there is a real truth in that like sometimes you want to stay in a little box of of, of safe knowledge but Mm. sometimes you explore other things that you know is a little bit out there on the different extremes but if you're comfortable doing that Say that, so, you
1: know. is that like you at the rib shack because you were holding the idea of whether you should have wings or ribs in your head at the same time and that and was, was kind of a big I with that yeah, I,
0: was, I think we're getting was, a bit too deep too I was, soon I was peaceful with that, I was with peaceful that, kind of that. Analogy, it's oh, always sorry. a challenge it's always a challenge whether to go for the ribs or the ribs burger. or wings
1: that's I'm still not huge. sure whether I
0: made the right decision hmm. um, some of it will hopefully not affect the way we do this show but um, thanks for that Dan and thanks for those insights again um, I think it's time <laughs> for us to move on to today's topic, which is, you know, probably one of the more heavy topics that we could have chose. We're going to be talking about um, the whole issue surrounding mental health and in particular male suicide. And, um, you know, this is this has been something on my heart for a long time before we even decided to do the podcast that I, I felt like Christians needed to start talking about. I think it all started, um, there was a there was a big development last year when Prince Harry came out and spoke to the media specifically. It was actually this time last year in April. Mm-hmm. He, he came out and he specifically spoke to the media. He spoke to um, The Telegraph about how he had been struggling with the death of his mother and how that had caused him, you know, sometimes crippling anxiety. He says he came very close to complete breakdown on, on numerous occasions. And he was often often saying that Um, He didn't know how to go from one day to another. And, um, you know, saying, I think one of the things that struck me as well, he said he was just looking to punch someone. And he he didn't know what to do, basically. But that really brought the whole issue of depression out into the limelight and people started talking about it more. And then even recently, um, The Rock, of all people, Came out and talked your, your idol, um, to your Sunday idol. Express. Well, not one of my idols, but I think I've got just. a lot of time for The Rock, and there's a lot of very good reasons, <laughs> um, that I have got a lot of time for The Rock. Um, Jumanji being one of them, you've just got watched a, that one on the weekend. You've got
1: a similar hairstyle to what he had when he was a wrestler. Which really? Yeah, sh- yeah. The Rock never
0: had this much hair. I mean, I don't have a lot of hair, but The Rock definitely No, had he had much that much
1: little hair. bit of the front that came up, and he stood on the ropes just calling out the whole I'm crowd. I'm really
0: not
2: sure which area you were looking
1: at. Okay, we'll get the video up later, <laughs> and I'll show you. It's basically swearing <laughs> on The ropes. Just
2: now we're talking logs. For viewers we, that have never now seen Now you know me. why this is audio only. Viewers, uh, there's no viewers. For we, listeners we got that faces, have never faces, seen Faces me. for radio, that's yes. what we're talking about here. For
0: viewers that have never seen I look nothing like The Rock. If anything, now you, Charlton, with your... Um, follicularly challenged appearance, you're a lot closer to him. You're a lot, you're a taller than me as well. So, you know.
1: Purely in build, The Rock and I have many similarities, but in looks, you're <laughs> much closer.
0: <laughs> All right, but in, in, in the Sunday anyway, Express. We're getting
2: serious, we're getting serious. We, we? were getting yeah, serious at get one point,
0: um, but The Rock is always a good diversion. But, you know, in the in the Sunday Express, he came in and he talked about recently about he, even him himself he himself, you know, being you know the ultimate symbol of masculinity almost these days. Almost.
2: Um Well, is anyone ever really going to get there? There's a, every, everyone's always going to have a flaw. I don't know. I think Charlton's pretty close, but he's just not as well known. Maybe, like if, if, maybe, Charlton, maybe if Charlton had we that just celebrity need to get him profile, there, well. I think uh, I think we'd we would think we've reached it.
0: Close but no cigar. Um He said that he reached the point where he didn't want to do a thing or go anywhere, and he said he was even crying. Constantly, and you know, for me that was a that was a big revelation as well because I think you know growing up um, in the eighties and you know particularly like a huge Sylvester Stallone fan and you know growing up on Rocky and Rambo and if it wasn't Rambo it was Schwarzenegger and growing up on the on this idea of like super strong powerful men, um, you know when I was hearing about depression as I was as I was growing into adulthood. Um, sometimes I would, I would wrongly, I think, think that that was a sign of weakness.
1: Oh, men. definitely. So many people immediately thought when they were growing up, if you'd never suffered actually something that would be close to depression, if you just had a sad day, yeah, yeah. you might even think that was depression. And so when you're hearing about people taking their own lives, you're going to have no understanding no of understanding. the depth of what that means.
0: But, you know, now that I'm an age where I'm, I'm 37 and I have a wife and a child, and, and a mortgage and all those things and all those extra responsibilities that I never had before, all of a sudden now I have a pressure on my life that I never experienced before. And when it comes to the area of depression, all, I, I think my, my understanding of it now has become more nuanced. And now I feel like I'm in a place where I can understand it. And um, before I had no way of understanding where it came from. And with understanding I think comes a sensitivity to the issue and and you know the realization i think that it is something that we need to talk about because i think the truth is that it can happen to anyone basically it's not something um you know just like like the rock says it's it's um it's not something that needs any pre-existing condition i think what was one of his quotes he said um it never discriminates depression, depression never discriminates is one of the things that he says and i think that's a that's a huge that's a huge thing to put out there and it's a huge thing to say and i think it just opens up the debate um so much but i think the really important thing and the real reason that we need to talk about it you know particularly being a men's podcast is just just some of the statistics out there because it's it's not just that um depression is an issue it's specifically for men it is it's a big issue and For some reason, it's an issue that is much bigger for men than it is for women. I'm just trying to pull up the statistics now here, um, which come from a report, a 2017 report from the Samaritans, which basically shows that men commit, men take their own lives at a rate that's three times higher than women. Men are three times more likely to take their life than women, those statistics are coming out
2: of the UK. And that, that, that's where I'd, I'd challenge the way you phrased it. You said, uh, okay. you know, depression is more a, more a men issue. Actually, women are 40% more likely, okay. to suffer. Yeah. yeah, that's good to clarify, to suffer from depression and anxiety. So, what I think is really interesting is almost depression, you could argue, is a more female issue, but the not dealing with it and committing suicide as a result of right. it, right? Yes, is a more. Yeah.
0: It's, the, it's
1: the severity of the outcome, isn't it, of the illness? Right. Yeah. And and actually, we, we're we still using the language in a very, very like juvenile, naive way, like the whole populace, the way it reads in the papers. So The Rock comes out and says something about depression, and people see that as anything other than a normal illness. Um, we're also, like, I've really noticed by reading some of these articles that we're lumping depression together as if it's one thing. Right. If you say to someone, I have a physical ailment, they'll actually inquire what that is they won't say, oh, it's one thing, you just have something wrong with your body. You know, there are many, many things go wrong with our body. And and I think some of the naivety starts on the idea that we're ever 100% physically or mentally well. So it's quite a naive idea, really. You say to someone, how are you? How are you physically? Even if someone said, yeah, yeah, I'm good, they're not going to say to you, I've actually got a slight niggle in my left ankle and um, I broke this finger when I was four years old. It's never really worked since. Um, And the same thing happens with us mentally. Like, Mm -hmm. we can never be this mythical 100% well mentally because we are dynamic beings changing the whole time. Well,
2: you're constantly on a sliding scale. Of course you are. And you're just near, yeah, you spend different time close to one end or the other. And actually, Joel, I mean, it's interesting. Sorry, Charles, I'm just picking up on that. Um, You know, I noticed you said, you know, now that you've kind of got a a sort of wife and and child and mortgage and sort of exposed to to more pressures that it's helped you kind of understand it a bit more. But also I think, you know, part of the um, part of the nature of, you know, depression or anxiety-related stuff being kind of, you know, it doesn't discriminate. It's Sometimes it will just pick on people in the most random times of life where you can kind of think you're not under any pressure at all. What have you got to be worried about? Because actually…
3: Mm. Um, like, so, like the weather almost sometimes. It just comes upon yeah, well, you. or well, certainly
2: hmm. people that have got kind of… Um, I guess you could say some sort of inbuilt disposition that the time that it is most likely to kick in in someone's life is your kind of late teens, early 20s, when you could argue the kind of you're young, you're free, you're single, you've got no responsibilities, you've got the world at Mm -hmm. your feet. And yet that is the time in life when it will most often... Um, where people will most often experience their first episode, and for some yeah. people it will be an isolated episode, for other people it might be something that kind of pursues them throughout life. So but
1: that's the "Who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going?" era of your life, the first proper one. Uh, and I think I think
2: that, it, can, I th- it can be related to that. For for some people, I can I also think you know where where there is a I mean maybe we'll get onto this later, but I think where there is a kind of genetic component, it can be the first time it rears its head mm-hmm. in a sort of it will manifest in a way, and you know. I think often people can look back and see the warning signs were there, but suddenly one day when I was
1: well, puberty is one of the theorized things that can trigger something that's predisposed. But as you said, sometimes people won't suffer a single thing in their life until they're in their early sixties or something. Um, so it's a really, really complex issue why it occurs. The, the the bigger issue we can talk about is what are people doing about it? Like, um, actually, again, a lot of reports are talking about where's depression coming from? But they're talking about it from almost just a purely medical way rather than actually something which is clearly psychological or possibly psychological at least. And so we're actually restricting the idea of this being like, okay, some people are going to suffer from depression. If you actually broaden the definition of depression, then you could actually say, well, everyone's going to suffer with it. It just yeah. depends mm. on what it is, what scale, yes. when, how, yeah. and whether they yeah. actually have any mechanism at all of dealing with it. And then you've actually broadened up this word, which seems to have so much stigma attached to it, to something which people might be prepared to start understanding as a general part of life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, sometimes people's sadness, that they call it, they went on for three months, is is a mild depression that they went through for that period of that year. Yeah. Um, they're embarrassed to think about it in that way and they wouldn't almost want to even categorize it, but it actually was one. Mm. Whether they could have come out with it, you know, within a week or two, that they'll never know because they didn't address it. It was a period of their life they were having trouble with and they may not have spoken to anyone about it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, I wonder how many men like The Rock have had a period of their life that they may or may not tell anyone about the fact that they had this horrific period they were struggling and they got to extraordinary low places.
0: Well yeah. I mean this is this is one of the things I think um in society and culture we need to kind of get to the heart of mm. which is kind of like why is it for men that when these things happen they you know, like you say the final result can often be more fatal than women. And I think I think that the number one reason that comes to mind is that men are just not very good at talking about it, and we need to we need to start the conversation and get to a place where people can talk about it more. Because this idea of super masculinity, it's like nothing affects me, is just not real, and no one can live up to that. And
1: it's the, it's the wrong idea of masculinity, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually it's not it's not being a real person, which means it cannot be being masculine. Yeah. Um, Like the idea of being deeply affected by something, to me, would be extremely masculine because actually there's many examples in the Bible of godly men being extremely affected by situations. I'm very, very upset. Well,
2: Nehemiah, I was just listening to that on the way to work.
1: Elijah. Jesus
2: got so anxious, he like sweated blood. He did, yeah. He saw his verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Exactly, yeah. David and the Psalms. You know, the, the way he talks about it is kind of like almost his bones aching within mm. him and that kind of thing. It's uh, Yeah, it's funny. They're, they're guys we sort of hold up as heroes yet often choose to um, erase those parts in our minds. There, was that, like there
3: was that recent um, documentary, I remember which Channel was on, where they were saying that when, if a, if a woman's going through a hard time and she'll go into the office and she's, she's crying at her desk, she's sitting at her computer and she's, she's crying... Yeah, it, it would be a natural reaction for some of the other girls in the team to take her into the, you know, into the ladies, and they would just talk about things, mm-hmm. and that that would be quite normal. But for a man who would going through a similar episode, who would come into the office, firstly, it's the stigma about you know you're crying for a man to go and cry at his death publicly, publicly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you don't do it, and that's pretty sure off. And they were they were kind of digging into this and saying, you know, this this idea that automatically something's being talked about. Is a is big help, whereas is it, is, it, is it this idea for men to kind of bite you know bite their tongue and yeah. Hold well, well, one of
1: the issues is we we're seeing these things as a permanent weakness rather than actually a, an issue for that person for a period mm-hmm. of time, which actually may make them extraordinarily strong in the future and actually have a whole raft of skills, qualities, empathies which they would never have before and actually mm-hmm. be able to deal with team members in their business in a very, very different way. So I think men are really scared in the office because they think, if I actually expose myself to that level, would I have a hope of getting promoted? Would I have a hope of leading one of these teams in the office? Because someone knows that I went through that and therefore I'm vulnerable, therefore I might be considered weak. And actually, I think one of the things is we have to be, you've got to be realistic. There are plenty of men who still think that is true. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So they do look at people and say, you are weak. You know, you have suffered something mm. I haven't, okay? We all have problems, stop crying about it. Yeah. And so, actually, it's not a pretend stigma, it's a real stigma. Yeah. You know, that unless someone actually has an understanding of what it would mean to have any form of mental health issue, for even a short period, they're going to have very, very little empathy towards someone who actually suffers that. They're just going to think, you can't really cut it in this yeah. environment, particularly the city. Yes.
0: Yes. And because of that stigma, it means that anybody that does come out and show that any sign of weakness, it means that they're then isolated. So like you say, when a woman does it, the likely the likely outcome is that a, a female colleague or a female friend is going to come next to her, put her arm around her, mm. take her away, but, talk with her. Think, Whereas, is there any man in your office who's actually going to be that ma- that person who sees someone crying and says, hey… Can I sit down with you and talk with you but about I don't, this? I don't imagine it, women just stand mm,
1: off. I don't imagine women actually have different fears to men. I actually imagine that they actually just let their emotions out in a freer way, and yeah, thus, yeah. therefore, some of it's uncontrollable. So instead of just looking sad at your desk, they might just cry. They didn't perhaps, perhaps they didn't want to cry. They didn't want to see. Uh, they didn't want other women and men to see that they had this issue. It's just that perhaps it's a more ordinary occurrence for that to occur. Now, actually... Do
0: you think that's because we're so trained to keeping our emotions in? We're trained well, possibly, to not be yes. emotional.
1: emotional yeah. as so, men. boys, as they're growing up, are not releasing their emotions, meaning they're just holding and holding and holding and, and you know, mm. that's going to cause extraordinary And even problems. not necessarily emotions, but even just talking about what's going on, even if it's
3: just confusion. Yeah. I just don't think we're very good at that. Mm. You know, you might not be emotionally led, but just, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting a plaque where I'm quite confused about my direction... And some of the things that are going on, let me talk about it. And I don't I think I think I don't know about you, but I find some guys are good at it actually by personality, and some mm. aren't actually disposed at all. And I see those who I'd in say, their personality aren't say disposed some are towards good at it.
2: it. Most are disposed not to. Yeah, and those and really. I
3: know and I actually would find from friends and stuff that those that are disposed not to have a have a hit some have some quite difficult times. I think, I think that's something that we
2: haven't touched on um, that, I, that I think kind of um, relates to the whole sort of stigma piece as well is, um, you know, I guess we're sort of blurring the lines a bit between, um, you know, sort of emotional difficulties going through a super tough, tough time and all that kind of thing and how people might see that as a weakness. Um, but I think what we need to recognise as well is obviously there's a, a kind of clinical end of the scale where it is an illness and i'm someone who has been through that illness yeah and i cannot identify with the way that i think when i'm ill or the way that i thought when i'm ill mm. and when i encounter someone else going through it it's a kind of i completely understand where you are but i don't understand all at the same time because because you're actually ill you are unwell you are not thinking mm. you are not thinking rationally and yet so often we have more the kind of, kind of man up, pull yourself up, um, you know, pull yourself together and rather than actually thinking this is someone who's genuinely unwell. And some, something I always struggle with and I, I think is unfair is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's true in cases, but when you hear about suicide, you just hear the kind of selfish bastard. How could someone do that? You know, how could someone, that's the most selfish thing you could do. And it's like,
1: but they're not thinking on that scale at all, are no, they?
2: This, this person is seriously ill. Mm. And... You hear people like, they lost a battle to cancer, they fought valiantly. You never hear someone who committed suicide of, you know what, they fought a brave battle against a mental illness and they lost that battle. Yeah.
1: You never yeah, hear it talked true.
2: about in those compassionate terms. Yeah. And,
1: and, and it's very, very, very tiring for anyone with a mental illness because what they're trying to do is fight the general status quo of them waking up in the morning and instead of feeling reasonable... Because many people don't feel ecstatic in the morning, but they might feel reasonable. And they're going to feel, the main word, I think, associated with it is you're going to feel balanced. Whereas a mental illness of some kind is where you just feel imbalanced. And some of it can be depression, and some of it can be anxiety, or the two can be mixed together. Mm. But it's crippling. It's absolutely crippling. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the times I've had it yeah. in my life when I was at late teens and early 20s was particularly severe. I found myself just thinking why do I feel so uncomfortable the whole time? I'm feeling very, very nervous. I'm feeling sad for no reason. And you're trying to rationalize it. And particularly in that era, I was just like, I've got no reason. It was literally what Andrew said. I have no reason to feel like this. Therefore, I'm going to deny myself the ability to feel like this and even actually a validity of feeling like this. And actually, it's not because you've been necessarily treated in a particular way or something's happened to you. It's because you've had a trigger point of some kind or, or many triggers which has mm. caused the state of your mind to go into that, that place. The, the, prob- the problem is that the, the level of suffering that person is dealing with is, is actually can be different to a physical illness. So if someone's elbow hurts but they've actually immobilized it, that's very, very different to someone suffering with mm. anxiety where it's permanent. And even yeah. when they go to sleep, they're having extraordinary disturbed sleeps and then waking up in the morning feeling even more mm. disturbed because of some mm. of the, the horrible dreams they've been having. I mean, it's so intoxicating that the person doesn't really know whether they're coming or going. So I can actually identify what Andrew's saying, thinking those thought processes are not natural thought processes. They actually feel outside of the norm and therefore of course it's very hard really? to understand mm. very hard to understand someone with depression
2: and, and i think what happens when when you're suffering from mental illness of any kind as well and and the bit that that people don't, the, the bit that kind of goes unseen a bit uh, you know so often it's like uh, yeah you know my mate x can't believe he killed himself like no one saw it coming yeah and because obviously people, there's a stigma attached to mental health, especially amongst men. So you will try and do whatever you can to try and look normal. Yes. Because also it's flipping terrifying when you are unravelling at the seams. Mm. Yeah. And and I think what people don't, and, and this is where I think, actually I would argue that anyone that's been through any kind of health issue, mental health issue, is probably one of the strongest people you know. Because mm. what it, the, the superhuman effort it takes to get out of bed in the morning, hold it together enough in the day just to function and make it look like you're functioning normally. You know, everyone else is just kind of balanced. You're just like, I just get out of bed. That's just what I do. Whereas for this other person, it's almost using superhuman energy, like just to get up and go to work kind of thing. And 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 sometimes it's very convincing the the way that they actually present themselves to the
0: world. I mean, I, I the number one thing that comes to my mind when I hear about people who have taken their own life as well is it's always like, wow, that felt like that was out of the blue. I did not see that coming. Whether it's uh, some of the high-profile high people Gary that we Steed. see in the media, yeah, um, mm. amongst others, um, or, you know, people people in my life that I've known, it's like, you, it's, it's always a shock. Yeah, When, when guys take their lives it's always a shock because we're so good at hiding it um, you know but
1: but i think that's really helpful when when traditionally thought of as very successful people come out and say i had a really difficult period of my life yeah. because actually Conventional wisdom can't easily answer that. They have many, many amazing things in their life, and okay. they're in a position that most people are never going to get to. And so, yeah. actually, it's showing it's showing the world straight away that this isn't an X plus Y equals Z equation. This is many, many I, and factors.
3: I, and I remember when Andrew, when cause I remember I was working in Canary Wharf when you, you know, just to get a little bit more personal, when you were having a bit of a difficult time because I kind of met you in London, and you, uh, you know, someone I looked up to, successful. Working in the city, you know, well-educated, well-travelled. Keep going, keep going. Um, what else know, did you like about? It's very very Come on, under the table. Your full, <laughs> and, your full um, hair, hair is impressive to me. And to I care. think what I remember is I, I remember, you know, you started to to open up a little bit because I think that's part of your character. You know, you're disposed to externally process things, and you you started to talk. And I remember, I think remember, you know, I was obviously a close friend, and I was. Lit in a little bit, but I think for me, what was fascinating was that like no one would know that this was going on with you, and no. and and and, and yeah, you're the successful person, yeah. Found found you know become a Christian, all the well, great well, things I, have been I, happening. I, I and you lived and with him. I didn't him. know
0: the fullest extent to what you were going through either. I, I I I should have known better. And maybe that's something I need to look at myself. At how can I be more mm. open
2: to spotting yeah, these things? In a, because in a way, I don't think you should have or, or could have really and I don't know I mean I remember when I you know for me it all first kind of kicked off at uni and stuff and I remember telling a friend and like yeah I literally got that what you mm. you like of all the people I know not you almost like one you're kind of you know you've got yeah I don't know everything going for you or whatever uh, and almost number two you've got this kind of chirpy almost kind of cocky disposition and you yeah. always seem so confident and you know, I was a model of the um confidant on the outside, absolute train wreck in mm. inside. Yeah. Kind of thing. And um yeah, I don't know. I think people get extremely good at at faking it. Yeah. Um I think we've all been at a point
0: in our lives where we faked it to some level or not. And it just mm. how often how how long we go for is basically what what determines what comes next. I mean, you know, it's it's basically when these things go unchecked mm. that that it can spiral into full-on depression, and then
2: getting to the mm. point where you feel like there's there's nowhere else to go. But also, I th- also, I think you know, Charles touched on a good thing. Like, I think those feelings and emotions need to be validated as well. And uh, and I think that's where it's really good. You know, Prince Harry sort of talked openly about going to see a counselor. Yeah, because actually, you know what? Those feeling, those thoughts and feelings come from somewhere, mm. and it might be purely physical. Uh, it might be purely emotional. It might be purely spiritual. My experience it's normally kind of a combination of all. Yeah. Mm, all yeah. of the above. You know. So it's, tell it's us, tell that. us
0: some of the things that worked for you. How did? What was the thing that brought you back to a place of, of good health now?
2: Yeah. So um, I'd say. If, if, yeah, I don't know. I mean, where do you start? I mean, I, I, I guess if I. Maybe I need to sort of bring it back to sort of earlier in my experience. I, you know, I was kind of, I think about, kind of, I was either either nineteen or twenty. Okay. Um, I remember I was I was kind of uh, dating a girl at uni. Went out to dinner, and just almost sort of out of nowhere, massive panic attack. Sort of sat in the restaurant. Um, just came out of nowhere. I felt like my whole yeah I don't know i I can't explain it almost felt like the room was caving in on me, and I was under some sort of intent. yeah, I thought I was like maybe having a heart attack or something like that, and for me that kind of kicked off um the start of a journey that has continued until now you know i'm i'm thirty nine and uh you know I definitely went through through uni the kind of um you know got put on pills, and that was kind of like okay. Uh, didn't really want to speak to a counsellor, didn't You know, I was really kind of like, I'm fine, I'm fine. So weird, there's like nothing actually wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I was even telling other people, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me, it's just some sort of imbalance. Uh, I take pills. Uh, That's fine, I'm done. Um, And I think, actually, I was still that... Like, medication alone was enough to get me back to a sort of functioning level. Yeah. But I was not well. I was still broken on the inside. So the medication was papering over the cracks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it plastered over it enough to kind of get me back to what a sort of normal functioning human looks like on the outside. And then, um, you know, I guess they, and then I kind of, you know, I'd try and stop my medication and I'd have a kind of relapse and then I'd go back on the medication. I kind of self-medicated for years. Um, and then, you know, you kind of try and medicate with all sorts of other things, drinking, girls, you know, whatever, yep. kind of outside crutches and uh, I think what what was interesting is I mean I would have I don't know I think the the official clinical term was like moderate depression right I'm telling you if that was moderate, moderate depression I would hate to see what severe depression mm. was like I, I my term for it is I would I'd say I had a breakdown yeah right? I had a breakdown and uh, what was interesting I'd been a Christian for a year so right. my whole life was supposed to turn around and get sort of so much better right mm.
1: And, um, but that must and and can surely lead to feelings of guilt amongst any Christian of any age, because you have a faith that's supposed to be a, a rock, a rock at the at the yeah, centre of your life and a hope. But I'm just I'm just wondering what what this means for Christian men and women. But you know we're talking about Christian men. The the idea of of oh so I'm a Christian but I feel utterly destroyed or I'm having a breakdown. What does that mean for me? Where have I gone wrong? And so you possibly, at the beginning of that process, you feel really not like sharing it with anyone. You actually just feel like turning to God one-on-one and seeing whether God will fix it.
2: And church is the worst environment to go to because you just have to high-five everyone and tell them how great your week's been and praise the Lord, isn't God good? But there, uh, there are
1: some depressing churches around the country. You, should, you could go to I'll check them out. Thanks. Yeah.
2: yeah. So <laughs> you could just maybe maybe we could uh, sort of uh, list a few at the end. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's good to go to
0: a healthy church, which is full of energy yeah. and full of vibrancy and positive. But it can be a very lonely place. But yeah, if, if you are struggling at that time with, with something like that, that kind of church can be a really difficult place well, to go in to. In a way,
2: I think it's un- it's an unfair finger to point at any church because you know what, struggling with a mental illness is a lonely place full stop and it's yeah, not going to be yeah. fixed on a Sunday morning what, or that's, whatever exactly, environment you're exactly, in it's easy yeah. to say uh, oh we need to do a better job in our churches and, and don't get me wrong I'm always saying you know, we can do better and we, and we need to be aware of where people are at and that kind of thing but um, I think when you're sort of mentally ill you, you can't really sort of blame a church for, for how you're feeling no ab- absolutely not but, but, um,
0: but tell us about your experience through church at that time like you said I think it's really interesting you say you'd been a Christian for a year and then you start coming into it what was how did church play a role or what what was your what was your feelings around church and, and community at that time as you were struggling
2: so 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 what was interesting is um so i guess i would say i had a breakdown yeah so i was about 26 and i'd say I'd, from my the day one panic attack i'd never been well up until that point i'd i'd been in various degrees of papering over the cracks successfully or less mm. successfully and i'd say that Start. I mean, I approached it from a very different standpoint because suddenly there's like faith. I mean, pretty kind of like shallow faith, like a year in kind of thing. Um, I think partly what precipitated my breakdown is I kind of kind of thought, oh, I'm a Christian now. I'll throw the tablets away. <laughs> Bad idea. Um, but actually, you know, I, I guess underneath it all was there just this sense of I believe God has something better for me, and it's not this. And yeah. I, and I kind of look back on that. You know, over 10 years ago now, and I'm kind of like, God love me too much to let me stay the way I was. Yeah. And actually the healing journey was unbelievably painful and I wouldn't wish it on my... I, I I look back on it as the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life and at the same time the best thing that could have ever happened to mm. me. Because I, I can see it today saying I am 100% in, to the extent we can say that, um, healthy, whole, don't consider myself ill, at all, and I, and I think you know the role the role church church played in that it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily church. I think one one there's just the obvious week in week out on a Sunday, friends there, community people to hang out yeah. with. Yeah, at the time,
0: so more than just church,
2: it's the it's the people. Yes, yeah, the people, the people, it's one hundred percent the people. So if, if I think of a couple of you know a couple of instances that that jump out of me, um, you know, Joel, our our old, uh, our old flatmate, you know, I remember like a couple of times hung out with him after church and, and I was not fun. I, Mm. I was a guy, absolute shell of a guy, had to quit his job through illness, move back with my parents, you know,
3: worked in a charity shop.
2: Yeah. Worked in a charity shop three days a week, you know, living the dream when you're 26. That's what everyone wants, right? Living in the suburbs. If it helps, I still
1: don't think you're that much fun. (laughs) No. It's good today.
2: It's good to, know. It's good to know. I feel much better now, actually, Charles. You're yeah, welcome. But uh, but it was just that fact that it kind of… I didn't feel judged for it. Mm. It was the kind of like, well, you're my mate and I'm going to hang out with you anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I actually had other friends, not in Christian circles, say things that was intended as well-meaning, but it was like, oh, mate, it sucks you're not feeling too good. Well give us a shout once you're back on your feet, we'll, you know, we'll hang wow. out, we'll be fine. In
1: five years' time. Yeah, you know, it was literally yeah. kind of,
2: oh, that sucks. Well, once you're back in town, give us a shout, it'll be fun. You know, kind of yeah. Almost like I was recovering from a broken leg or something rather than uh, this is the start of a very long journey. But
0: and you, they would have been completely well-meaning friends yeah, as well. Yeah, they, 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 didn't, they weren't trying to be distant. They actually thought that what they were saying at the time was being supportive. But yeah, people are very
1: shit.
2: Chin, chin up, that kind of thing. Yeah. But also I think it was almost a clumsy... I don't really know what to say, so I'll
1: just sort of follow an yeah. awkward yeah. kind of... People are scared of things they don't understand, and particularly with mental illness. They think they're going to have to tread around the person on eggshells, they could make it worse, rather than actually just saying, I've got to interact with this person, they'll really appreciate the company, and it mm. might be a bit awkward for me at some times if they're, if they're right at the low point in their depressive state. Um And I think actually that, that is where education can help, where people yeah. can... The talk, Prince Harry talking about mental illness, people start accepting the fact that, you know, it was hugely helpful for him to have some friends around him, just talking to him and helping him go to various, what he would consider normal things every week. One one
2: of of the other things that really sticks with me to this day um, from that time. Uh, it was actually something Dan did. I don't think I've ever t- told Dan this. So like, don't, don't get emotional and cry when I tell you. But um, I remember it was uh, a uh, mate of hand us. Hand. Yeah,
3: compliments on you.
2: You know, so, so I guess, you, you know, again, like, you know, and I'm listening, it's kind of like, okay, so you were 26 and you quit your job and you moved back with your parents. Like, it's not exactly the end of the world, is it? It's happened to a lot of us. But where my head was at at the time was, I've finally, like the wheels have finally fallen off. Mm. Um, you know, I've been trying to hide this for five or six years and finally the truth has come out. My weakness is exposed. I am going to be that guy who moves back in with my parents and they will find me living in the back bedroom. You know, my parents will die and someone will find them dead at home and then they'll realise their son lives in the back bedroom and has lived there like a hermit (laughs) for like 30 (laughs) odd years and I won't have had a shower and I'll just be like huddled in a... Do you know what I mean? I, I was literally at that... Just rocking, like I was, I was gone, I was was shot. Um, And so, in my mind, it wasn't kind of like, oh, this is a tricky, this is a tricky kind of phase. It was like, my life is over. This is it, game over.
0: But that's
1: one of the classic lies of depression. And I would argue what the devil uses to really pin people down. I'm I'm just trying. You Can know, we get it. to the bit about what I do? Yeah, let's no, talk right. yeah. about that. Yeah, you're yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, but I'm, just, I'm just trying to give a, context, a
2: bit of context. I think everyone to... listening is
1: interested in us. So what did this Dan guy do? It must have been a hero. Yeah, exactly,
2: well, I'm, I'm setting it up, I'm setting it
1: up. And then Dan burst into this back bedroom <laughs> yeah. and he made me some toast.
2: Yeah, dressed as Superman, had a cape on and a, actually, no, just his pants outside his trousers, which is nothing new. Um, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so, so so in my head, I was like, you know, game over, Um I've lost all my friends, I've got no income, you know, that's mm. it kind of thing. And I, I remember it was a kind of, uh, it was a mate's birthday and we all went out for dinner in this place in Notting Hill. You know, one of those things kind of like, oh, Andrew went for dinner, whereas for me, that was like superhuman effort, like unbelievable how tough that was. And I just remember the bill came at the mm. end and Dan was just like, I'll get yours. Mm. And, and just that little, I'll get yours meant more than I think you're ever know in terms of like my friends aren't going to leave me yeah I'm, I'm still part of their lives they haven't shunned me they haven't rejected me and you know just the difference from that to kind of uh, give us a shout when you're better yeah um, was massive it's just saying I've got your back isn't it yeah it was just a simple thing like, I'll get yours yeah um,
0: if you thing... could do that for, for uh, the dinner that we had earlier as well, Dan, I'd really yeah, appreciate good, that. Actually. But that's not the only I thing I'm taking from this story, because actually again.
1: you've paid for Andrew's meal years ago and you've just paid for Joel's tonight, and then I've had to pay it's the so largest share of the bill tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this feels... Well, that would have been the super snack that you
2: had. <laughs> i say you did have a burger that was just like unreasonably large, though. So, Well, uh, Prince right.
0: Harry spoke about something really similar as well. He said... um our, of his current focus on mental health, he says, what we are trying to do is normalize the conversation to the point where anyone can sit down and have a coffee and just go, You know what? I've had a really shit day. Can I just tell you about it and I'm quoting him verbatim there because I think we, if we're going to be real, we need to have real conversations and um this is that sometimes that's the way it just goes down yeah. basically and i I think having that space where friends can be really honest with each other and seeking out those friends and actually having other people in your life that you can actually talk to is absolutely, I think, one of the most important things that and, we can but do. But that is literally the men. start
1: of the process. So we are that far behind with this. That is the start of the process. One of the main things we need for young men and women of or you know, of anyone of any age is what's the next process? One of the mm. really tough things for me was chatting to some people that were all very well-being and then you go back into your life and you're like, it's exactly the same. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't had any answers because you use the word, um, I'm whole, Andrew. You know, I, I actually fully believe in being a whole Christian in the mm. tr- true sense of the word with spiritual and physical and emotional restoration. And actually, I think unless you get to start to get to the crux of the issues of where and why your mind, heart, and soul and spirit is aching in that way, then you're not truly going to come out of that that weakness it, to the level where you can start to rebuild a life in a positive way. It doesn't mean you mm. won't be susceptible to ever mm. being sad again or having a difficult time, but it means why, why do you feel that way? Why have you lost hope? I think one of the key things we mustn't forget with any form of depressive state is people who are depressed one of the, the things that binds them all together is that they don't have any hope. Mm. And they, they can't really put their finger on why that is or, or what that means. Some people will say, I don't have hope in this. Other people will say, I don't have hope in that. But, yeah. but people who are depressed don't have a hope in something. Um, and until you rebuild some form of spark in hope, and that can be a very, very complex issue then you're going to actually just put plasters on something. So yeah. say,
2: hope, hope was the beginning of a, a healing process for me. So it's interesting you talked about body, mind and spirit. And, uh, you know, going back to the kind of what helped at church is I've, I've realized that you need, or certainly in my experience of recovering to what I consider to be a very healthy state is you need to address all of those things. Yeah. So actually medication played a role and it does to this day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've I've struggled on and off with that over the years and kind of does that make me a real Christian if I still take medicine and blah, blah, blah. But looking at my history since my early 20s, it, it seems there is a degree to which my chemistry plays a role, right? But that wasn't enough alone because there was actually a huge spiritual dimension in terms of like some very significant emotional damage, I'd say. Yeah from earlier years that I hadn't resolved and dealt with at all. Um, I also explored the physical part of it. I went to see a nutritionist and all kind of thing and blood tests. And actually it turned out that half the food I was eating wasn't particularly good for my kind of body type. So, yeah. you know, for me sort of getting a whole like, yeah, talking to people and dealing with it and tackling your kind of demons, as it were, from a spiritual sense. But actually, and you probably noticed um, living with me, you know, I'm, I'm really careful about making sure I get enough sleep. Yeah. Making sure I eat well. Making sure I eat regularly. Um, making sure I don't drink too much. Yeah, Take my medication every day. I've taken certain medical supplements. Just having your life in general good order, right? Yeah, yeah, but almost... De- treating just the spiritual bit, or just the physical bit, or just the whatever you know, often it's it's a, a kind holistic of more, approach. Is yeah, what yeah, you're so saying. it's a kind of more nuanced, nuanced thing than that, I think. And
1: but we often find that people always want to focus on one thing, so they're like, right, I'm going to get super fit and I'm going to eat healthily and that'll fix yeah. it. There's nothing actually or wrong with it's demonic. Yeah, Yeah. or it's just demonic. It's just demonic. Oh no! When we
0: go down that road, it can be so
1: problematic. But if if you look at there's going to be so many different triggers for people in their lives, Um, but there are some basic ones. Some men will suffer this Mm. when they have too many pressures in their lives. Like Mm. various people at work are going to have either a breakdown or a depressive episode from the fact that it builds and builds and builds and builds. And the brain is something that can be broken.
2: When, and in a way, modern life is just the the constant stressors and stimulators. What is it? We're exposed to like a 10,000 advertising messages a day or whatever. You know, news is like 24-7 on your phone, in your pocket. Mm. Most of it is bad. You know, that that's some heavy, seriously heavy reading material that all of us have at a touch screen all the time. You know, this issue, that area. I don't know, just kind of uh, child sex trafficking gangs in Rochester. Was it Rochester? Rotherham. Rotherham. Um, you know, war in you know chemical wars fair in Syria and that kind of thing. We've got a diet of that twenty four seven. On top of kids, mortgages, pressures, blah blah blah. Do you, do you think like, that we're the... exposed to things that I don't think? But, we're not designed. Do you think to... that the
0: current the current um, social media? Life that we, you know, the, the culture that we live in, where social media, mm. you know, determines so much of the information that we get and so much of where we put our energy into. Do you think those those things uh, can help the issues, or do you think they're 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 possibly exacerbating I th- I the problems of depression? Well,
2: I think social media has done great things in terms of, you know, the whole kind of, you know, Prince Harry's um, initiatives in terms of little making videos and things. yeah, it's great in terms of like. Proliferating the message of it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to talk. I think social media platforms generally, though, I mean more and more sort of data and research is showing that it it has a detrimental effect. Mm. On, yeah. But, on
1: did, but doesn't and, and it's, but it's, doesn't some of this seem obvious to us? Like like if we were to take some of the basics of where happiness derives from, it's having a sense of worth, having yeah. a sense of self, yeah. having a sense of purpose and having a sense that you're loved and deeply known by others and from a christian perspective from god yes and so if you strip away loads and loads of those of those things and you actually reduce it down to i'm not really sure i have any of those things then you're going to actually have a very high chance of triggering depression and i think yeah. that we're being very naive in the fact that we're saying oh you know uh, i don't think there's a rise in mental uh health issues. I think it's just that we're talking about it more. That's, that's rubbish. Of course there's a, a rise in it because we're, we're actually taking away the idea of someone's life being reasonable. If you look around you and you're encouraged to look around you and you're assuming that everyone's life is better than yours, yeah. whoever you are, you're taking away the idea of any self-achievement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're and constantly And with social media self-worth. these days, there's
0: always someone out there that's doing something more than you and mm. can prove it and can show you it and can show you the pictures of it and can blog about it. And it's so hard to get
2: that sense of self
3: It's a globalised community so t- now, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I think what... I don't know, sort of tying that back to to hope, I think, um, you know, social media doesn't... You never get anyone, um, apart from slight, slightly sort of weird people, really sort of posting things of, I'm having such a bad day, I hate my life. You know, mo- most people are kind of like, hey, look how awesome my life is, even though I, I hate myself. Yeah. Um, People always show their highlight reel.
1: But if I, they do I mean, post it, it, it on social, social media, media, it's probably not a great forum to post it on because it's, again, a lack of personal community where you yeah, might actually build yeah, something sure. towards. But,
2: but it's like you say, it's generally a kind of highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard for you to find hope in someone else's highlight reel. Yeah. Um, because it just sets this kind of like, I'm never going to get there because this person has never had a bad yeah. day in their life. Yeah. And, what, what was huge for me in terms of, you know, when I went through what I, I turned my breakdown was, um you know, I, I sort of sought out a counsellor and, you know, had to, you know, tried a couple that weren't quite right for me. And and eventually I found this guy um, who, you know, immediately I kind of like looked up to. I was like, whoa you know, strong Christian man and blah, blah, blah. And, I you know, it started off with a kind of, I just spilt my guts in terms of my life's over and this is where I'm at and this is what I'm going through. And he was just like, yeah, went through that. And actually, he'd gone through way worse than I mm. ever did. Yeah. Um, lost his business, lost his wife, hospitalised, left with a shot on his back. But, but suddenly there was hope because mm. it was like, you were sat in my chair and now you're sat across from me yeah. as someone who is fully recovered, fully back, moved back on with their life. And, mm. and it's absolutely huge. I think, I don't know, to have hope, you need to know that it can, it can get better. <laughs> Yeah, you know yeah. that people do recover and, and actually if you're looking at if all you've got as a reference point is the highlights reel of other people's lives there's yeah. not a lot to be found there but actually i think there's huge hope in finding someone who's like yeah been there i've i've, I've walked you know i'm mm. not walking through it right now and i'm really sorry that you're walking through it but i've walked through that valley you're walking through and i, I can promise you it gets better yeah, i think <laughs> it's just that on.
0: setting up that idea that you're not alone because i think that yeah, but you know the the one thing that people keep saying, and you know the Rock says it as well in in his tweet. He said, you're not alone. It, it's clear that it's one of the things that people feel the most when that place of depression. They feel isolated, and I think if we can just create a culture where we don't allow ourselves to be isolated and we don't allow our friends to be isolated, and I think that's I think that's important. I think we need to take responsibility mm-hmm. yeah. for that. I mean, we need to yeah. really look at the friends that we have in our life, and we need to say okay. Like, like, like me looking back at, at the time when we were living together, I'm saying, okay, if they were struggling with things at that time, would I be able to pick up on it? And if, you, if you're not able to pick up on it, then maybe it, um, it's not always because someone doesn't have the, the guts to talk to you about it or they don't have the, the, you know, the courage to open up yet. Maybe it's because as guys, we set ourselves up so strong and so with so many barriers – that, like your friend who may or may not have, you know, meant to, to cut you off. We just set up barriers and say, okay, this is how far we go. Uh, we do banter. We do good times. Mm. We, have, we have a good laugh. But we don't talk about serious life. We don't do that. And, and I, I, I know a, a number of friends that I have that I, that, to be honest, I only call them acquaintances because I can count on one hand the amount of times we've had a serious conversation in our life. And now I choose my friends very, very, very seriously. And I'm like, if, if I if I can't talk to you about anything that's above surface level, then this friendship is, is is this friendship ever going to pay dividends? But because we get, different, gonna we get different things
1: out of different friendships. And I, I don't think you have to have a whole group of people that, you know, you would have perfectly serious conversations with. It's about, the real serious thing is when someone hasn't got any. Joel, you're, you know, an incredibly likably person to other people, I guess. And, and <laughs> what's that? As in, I don't like you, but I can see why other people would. Is that what you meant? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's exa- got a beautiful exa- way with words. He always has. I oh, know.
2: It's such a true gent. Is that why you keep at surface level with him? <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> but but this is the point though. Like I think the real issue is when someone doesn't have one or two friends. That they can actually open up to in that way. Mm. You know, they, you can have large groups of friends. You can have you can have gentle friendships with people. You can have those friendships which are just we enjoy having intellectual conversation, or we enjoy playing football together on a Thursday night. But that someone's you've got to have some people in your life that hold you accountable, that you're accountable to, that they're accountable to you,
0: yeah, and yeah.
1: That, and that they're interested in your well-being week in, week out. And actually yeah. that's friendship, isn't it? Because yeah. as Andrew said, when someone says I'm having a tough time, you don't consider, oh, well, we'll put our friendship on hold. It's yes. more of a, what can I do? I might, I may be lost in helping you, but what can I do? Let's get, let's get through this. And the other major thing with something like depression is, and we all do it, like, like sometimes if something's going wrong in my life, I want God to fix it right then and there. You know, I I want, I want the classic uh waving of the hand, and it's all done. But we we all know in this room that, that God can do miracles and can heal people instantaneously. But most of the time, if we break one of our legs, it's going to take a long time to heal. And yeah. we have a real impatience with the mind. Mm-hmm. And so what Andrew was saying about looking into different areas of your life and starting to fix them, that is part of the process. It's about, right, there are many aspects I'm going to have to look at. And some of it is about that education of right. Okay, this person's having a tough time. There is hope in this situation, and it doesn't need to continue forever. And-, and that's where I think we need to be really careful as as
2: Christian guys. That I think well-meaning, but inadvertently, there's the risk that we could make it even harder for. Christian guys to talk about it than non Christian guys because there 's the whole faith element,
0: yeah. and
2: there 's the whole yeah but you 're not speaking in faith or you 've got to speak out the word or you 've got to live in faith, and almost a Christian guy and a non Christian guy could be going through exactly the same thing mental health wise and the Christian guy feels ten times worse about it because i 'm a Christian, mm. and therefore I should be living in faith, and therefore mm. when I speak to my christian mates they 're all kind of pushing me towards these kind of, come on, you just got to stand on the word and push in and da-da-da-da. And, and actually almost the, uh, the reason a Christian guy is suffering it is because there's a whole kind of to-do list of Christian things that you clearly haven't been doing because if you had been doing them, then you wouldn't be in this state. Mm. Uh, the non-Christian guy who has the same illness as you, well, that's to be expected. He's not a Christian. Of, of course he's going to be ill. Do you know what I mean? We, we could almost have that kind yeah. of uh, mm. viewpoint. And actually, no, Christians get cancer. Yeah. So do non-Christians. And, and you know, we, we need to be really mindful that we, we're not inadvertently making people feel sort of a bit ashamed or um, almost <laughs> condemned when yeah. we're, we're coming out with sort of well-meaning sort of uh, Christian approaches to, to what, you know, ultimately is an illness like any other. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone's got cancer, you don't say, I, I strongly think you should not have that operation. Mm. You need to stand in faith Uh, stop taking the medication your doctor's given you, (laughs) forget chemo, and uh, just pray about it until the tumour's gone. Yeah, I think the need is... You wouldn't ever give that advice to... You uh, need to
0: be real as friends, and you need to be able to... As Christians, you need to be able to see past the Christian theology and just be, say, do you know what? This doesn't match up with my theology. I don't really know what's going on here, but I'm going to be a real friend to you anyway. Because I think one of the lessons that I've learned... um, I mean, I feel like I've been really blessed... In, in in some of the most difficult times of my life that I've had so many good friends there to turn to. And, you know, over the past ten years I've 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 managed to stay consistently in a really strong group of male Christian friends who have spoken into my life. And you know, maybe they're the maybe they're the reasons why I haven't gone through a real um you know, significant episode to this day because mm. I have been through some difficult things in my life and I, I sometimes I feel like I'm only one day away from a depressive spiral that could easily get out of hand and that could easily grow and could, could grow into something bigger. But I'm so thankful that, uh, you know, every Thursday night I have a group of uh, really good, strong Christian guys that I gather together with and I, you know, whatever's going on in my life at that time, we talk about it, we pray, and that 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 ability for something to... That seed to grow, it never has that opportunity because I'm always being attentive to it. And that it's not just me, but there's people looking out for me and they're there, they're ready to talk with me and they're open and they're, they're ready to be real uh, about things um, with me. And, and one thing that has taught me, I think it's not it's not a popular idea, but I think it's definitely true. The truth is that as Christians, us and God is not enough.
1: Mm. We need
0: more than just a one-on-one relationship with God and often when people think about Christians or they talk about religion, they think about themselves, you know, just one-on-one, either in a quiet room or on a pew or, you know, in a chapel, just by themselves on their knees, praying to God and that sorts out everything. But the, the truth is, is that that rarely is, is the answer. And I, I think there's a reason why, I believe there's a reason why Jesus walked around with 12 other people. And he's one of the few mm. people that stands up in as, uh, you know, compared to other religious figures as someone who didn't stand alone and he modelled he modelled what Christianity mm-hmm. should be. And, you know, the early church was all about looking out for each other. It, it, it separated itself from this idea of just between God and individuals. And it says it was all about community. It was all about family, friendship, fellowship, that word, which is old school, just but just not used very much anymore. It's not a very popular word to use in any circle these days. The idea of fellowship, I think, is one of the things that can... Save us more than anything. And I've, I often say to people, listen, if you're not um, in good community, if you don't have friends that you can talk to, mm. um, if you don't have a men's group that you that you know you can rely on at church, and if you're not pursuing that, you need to do it because it's, it's literally, at times, it can literally be a matter of life and death. And that sounds mm. like it is… Um, I wouldn't be here. A, a drastic… Yeah. It's, I wouldn't be here. That's, that's a testament. That is, that is a real testament. And, um, I think if, if, if listeners out there can, can really just start to understand that and be really intentional about, um, pursuing good friendships and also, you know, being responsible about the friendships that they have and and their friendship circles and saying, Hey, if anyone is going through anything, I'm going to be the one who's going to be like, Hey, you know what? I am here for you. Let's have that coffee. Let's talk about it because that, that, that can be the start. And, um, The Rock, we'll we'll finish with The Rock. His quote um, says, thank you. Um, He was responding to people who'd responded on his article saying, um, you know, how much it meant for them. He says, thank you. We all go through the sludge and the crap and depression never discriminates. Took me a long time to realize it, but the key is not to be afraid to open up. Especially us dudes have a tendency to keep it in. You're not alone. Well, hope you've... uh, got something out of that it's been great uh, very therapeutic for us to, to talk about it um, very complex and very difficult issue but I think it's the start of a conversation uh, that I think needs to continue if we can um, hope you've enjoyed listening at home and like I said you know hopefully you can take some of these things on board and uh, hopefully you know in the future going forward we can start to, to live in a world where these stats come down but thanks for listening Thanks for your time, and we will be catching you again sometime soon. Our aim is to be releasing one episode um, a month on the last Friday of each month, so um, this is when this one's going to be coming out. Um, what is the date uh, this Friday? Well, I don't I don't need to tell you the date of when this is coming out because that it doesn't work like that, does it? You will get it when you get it. Um, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to be posting on social media... That'll be the way it works. But anyway, you'll be hearing from us again soon, the last Friday of every month. Keep tuning in. Hope you found it fun. We'll speak to you again soon.